And so, Lord, now as we, as we come to your word, we, we ask you to speak to us. And we ask you to speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us. Lord, we trust that you speak through your word. And so remove any distractions that may hinder us from hearing what you have to say, any fears or anxieties inside us, Lord, and, and speak directly to us and change us because of what you have to say. Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, if you want to open your Bibles to Titus chapter 3, verses 8 through 15, this is the last message in the series through Titus, and then next week starts the first Sunday in Lent, and so we'll be doing a a series uh, in Lent leading up to Easter. So today is the last one in Titus, Titus 3, verses 8 through 15. And Shar, I'm going to have you kind of click the slides since I can't really see them. So anytime I, I'll try to click through some of the scripture as I, through my sermon, but for this one that would be helpful. All right, 3 verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. Because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Well, we all have a tendency, I think, to get easily distracted. Right? I know we live in a culture that's easily distracted, and, and uh, we kind of we got flashing lights everywhere. We kind of get caught looking all over the place. But, but another way of talking about being distracted is, is to focus our time and our energy on the wrong things. There's kind of a tendency to focus time and energy on things that are not really that important. Um, because it's just a lot easier. Um, you've maybe experienced, I'm sure, I, I know you've all experienced this. At some point in your life, you have a big daunting task in front of you and it kind of, you dread it. You're kind of overwhelmed by it. You don't know how you're going to start it. You know, maybe it's a huge pile of laundry. Maybe it's a project on the car or on the house or um, any author who's ever written a book. They say they've got the same thing. They sit down to write a book and they're kind of overwhelmed by it, and then five minutes later they find themselves doing what? Scrolling through Facebook. <laughs> Why? 
Because it's, it's easier to do that than to tackle the big task, right? So you'll have this big task in front of you and you're kind of afraid of it. You're not sure what you want to do. And so it's easier to kind of go, I'll do this little easy. I'll, I'll clean out the junk drawer or I'll, maybe that's the daunting task though. I, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll do this or I'll do this and I'll kind of do all these little easier things rather than tackling the big one that's in front of us. Because it does two things. For one, it's just easier to do these little things, and it makes us feel like we're not lazy. Because if we were just to see the big daunting task and go, I don't want to do that, and then just sit down and do nothing, we would be like, oh, I feel lazy. But this way, we're at least, we're staying busy, right? We're just doing something, but we're ignoring the big one, but we're just kind of doing all these little tasks, making ourselves feel good. And the reality is, we do this in our daily lives, we all do this. Um, But we have tendencies to do this in the church as well, that we have these big, daunting tasks in front of us as a church, and we get overwhelmed by it, we get afraid of doing it, and so we distract ourselves, just kind of busying ourselves doing things that are not that important. And and we we let ourselves get frustrated and angry and fight with one another over really small things that are not really big. There's maybe things going on that we should fight about, and they're really big, but no, we don't want to address those. We're going to fight about something really small and unimportant because it's easier. And uh, one of the things that's been on my heart and mind this week is, uh, is, as Jerry was talking about this morning, about this, this building refresh, right? We're going to look at how to kind of update things in the church because it's been 20 years and we're going to try to look at it. And I, I just have to be real honest that as we started talking about it, there was a hesitancy to dive into it because... Boy, when churches start to talk about changing paint and changing carpet, they fight. And people are like, ah, do we want to do do this? We don't want to have any divisiveness in our church over this refresh issue. We don't want to do that because we don't want to get into that. And and I just want to say, let's not allow this thing, this refresh, whatever it is, to be a divisive thing in our church. Um, let's not make it something that we end up fighting about. Because this building is an important thing. And the building is a tool for ministry. The building is a tool for equipping the church and reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. That's why this is here. And, and if trying to get this building to be more effective in doing that, if that causes us to be divisive and fight, and um, we've, we've lost our focus. We've, we've gotten focused on little unimportant things instead of focusing on what's going to build up the church and further the kingdom of God. And so I just want to encourage us to to dive in and and have opinions and thoughts on how we can make this building more effective for ministry. But let's not let it become something that eats us up and distracts us from what's important. And the reality is the church of today is not the only church that's ever had to struggle with this. I mean, what Paul says here, he, he says to, you know, Pastor Titus, as he's wrapping up the kind of final words to him in this letter, he says, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are just unprofitable and useless. He says, Titus, in your church, and, and he's writing it to Titus and to the congregation, he says, stop wasting your time on things that are unprofitable and useless. Or another translation says, worthless. You know, he says, stop fighting about stupid things. Stop fighting about foolish controversies. Stop, stop 
searching in your family histories, trying to find some kind of salvation there. Stop arguing about minute matters of the law and adding law upon law upon law upon law, trying to clarify things. And he could have just kept listing things where the church was wasting their time. And he says, stop. Stop wasting your time on things that are unprofitable and useless. He talks about another issue that, that is a waste of time, divisiveness. And he's got really strong words to talk about divisiveness in the church. He says, warn a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful, self-condemned. That's strong. But again, it's, it's, it's this idea of this, is, this divisiveness in a church is a waste of time. It's unprofitable. It's useless. And, and he gives people like a three strikes and you're out kind of a policy, right? Warn them once. Try to, try to bring them back into the fellowship. Try to bring correction and, and pull them back in. And if that doesn't work, do it again. Try to pull them back in. Try to bring them. But after the third time, he says, be done. If they're being divisive in the church. He says, we're not going to waste our time on, on this issue. It's, we're not, it's not something we're going to fool around with because divisiveness in a church spreads like an infection through the whole body. And it goes from one person to two people to four people to eight people to 16 people. And it spreads through the church and takes the whole church and gets them focused on foolish controversies, arguments, genealogies, little unimportant things in the church. And he says, don't get caught up in that. If there's a divisive person, warn them once, warn them twice, and then have nothing to do with them. Because he wants us to stop wasting our time. Stop working towards things that are pointless. Because what it does, it prevents the church from actually doing the work that God has called us to do in the world. What we're supposed to be focusing on is what's excellent and profitable. So he says, don't focus on unprofitable and worthless things. Focus on things that are excellent and profitable. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. I want you to stress these things. And these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So there's, there's certain things in the church that we just stop worrying about it. And there's certain things in the church, he says, stress it, focus on it. it. Keep saying it over and over and over again. Focus on these things. Hold tightly to them because they are excellent and they're profitable and they build up the church and there's, they bear fruit in the world. And so what are the, these things that he's talking about? Well, he's pointing back to last week's passage or last week's message, which is the gospel. It's the, these things that he's talking about is the truth that we too were once foolish, disobedient, envious, and hatred, and, and, and God saved us. Not because of anything that we had done, but solely by his grace and mercy. And Paul says, This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress that truth. Because those truths, those gospel truths are excellent and profitable. They they build up the church and they send the church out into the world. You need to focus on them over and over and over again. It needs to be the core of your ministry. The core of this church has to be those gospel truths. And we shouldn't allow ourselves to get distracted from that. And he says one of the reasons why we need to focus on this, he says it's a trustworthy saying, 
And I want you to stress these things so that, so he's saying here's what's going to happen if you stress gospel truths, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. When, when, when we in the church, when we stress the gospel, the gospel that we're not saved by anything that we've done, but we're saved by God's grace and mercy, when we, when we focus on that, when we stress that as a church, it stirs people's hearts to action. It causes people to devote themselves to good works. And so when we, when we grab hold of the gospel individually and as a church and we embrace it with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it gets down into our heart and starts a fire there in service to our God. And so then we go out and we want to do what's right. We want to follow him. We want to give our lives to him. We want to, as the song that we sing, we want to you know, adore our father and, and lay our lives before him. And that's why gospel truths are profitable and excellent, because they actually bear fruit in our lives. And, and in order that he gets this point across, two verses later, he says the exact same thing. Our people must learn to devote themselves to what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. But again, he's saying we, we need to learn something. The church needs to learn something. And actually the sense is we need to keep on learning it. It's not, not kind of a one and done thing. It's not like you show up in a, you know, in a new members class and you learn how to follow Jesus and then you go out and you do it the rest of your life. No, you need to come back every Sunday, hear the word preached and learn more and more each week. You need to keep learning what it means to devote yourselves to good works. You need to keep on learning it. And that's really all discipleship is. And that's really what the church is about, is helping people see Christ as their Savior. And then we teach people how to devote themselves to good works. And when, and when the church does that, when we go out into the world, not trying to earn our salvation, but just laying our lives down because we love Jesus, then we go out and we live productive lives in the world. And we meet the needs of people in the world. And it bears fruit beyond our own life and beyond our own congregation, but it keeps bearing fruit out into the world. It's productive. It's excellent. It's profitable. But if we get distracted from the gospel and we find ourselves focusing on foolish controversies, genealogies, divisiveness, arguments, fighting about the law, focusing on unprofitable, worthless things, what ends up happening is that there's no fruit. And God's people don't learn to devote themselves to good works because we've been distracted and focusing on unprofitable things. And so then God's people don't devote themselves to good works. Then they go out into the world without any good works and they don't produce any fruit out in the world. And then everything just kind of goes. There's no there's nothing there. There's no impact. The gospel doesn't bring any change because the church got distracted and got focused on lots of little things that are unimportant and to just keep emphasizing this because it's kind of the main focus of this book he talks about jesus and he says jesus christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good and and i actually like the esv's translation better he says it says who are zealous 
for good works. We don't really use the word zealous anymore, but it's just a really good word. And, it, and it's, zealous is way better than eager. Eager is kind of like, I'm kind of eager to do it. But zealous means like a fire. <laughs> like there's a fire deep down in your heart. And, and Christ has grabbed hold of you and said, now, now go do good works in the world. And there's a passion in there. And, and it's this point that Christ redeemed you. He saved you. He pulled you into his family so that he would have people who are passionately following him zealous, passionately following him. And I mean, we're talking passion to follow Jesus, not not just kind of a boring plodding through life, um, not not grumblingly kind of walking through. Do I guess I got to do this because Jesus told me to. And no, he said passionately, excitedly following him, doing the things that he's called you to do, kind of an all consuming fire inside of you to follow Christ, the one who gave himself for you. And, and when we live that life in the world, people start to notice. I mean, that's the kind of life that gets people's attention. If, if, if your Christian life ends up being more like Eeyore than Tigger, <laughs> well, I kind of like Eeyore too. You know, he's kind of endearing, but, but, but if your whole life is kind of like I guess I'll go to church if I have to. I, I guess I'll help somebody out, I guess. I don't know. Instead of like, tickers are good. Woo, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I know there's different types of personalities, but I'm talking about, you know, if you're, if you're going through life like Tigger, or like Eeyore, just kind of like, I don't know if I want to do this. And anybody looks at that and says, I don't want that. They don't even look like they're enjoying life. They don't look like they're having fun. I, I mean, why would I give glory to God for that, right? But, but it says if, if you're out in the world and you're passionately following Jesus, people all of a sudden see that Jesus is worth giving your life to. You know, there's the parable of the, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man finds that treasure, he goes and in his joy sells everything he has and goes and buys that treasure. Like Christ is, when we see who Christ really is and what he's done for us, in our joy, we are called to just drop anything that keeps us from that, in our joy, and go get him. Passionately going after him. And yet there's this interesting aspect of this passage that in the midst of this, right, Paul's talking about passionately following Jesus and going after him and giving our lives for him. Then he starts diving into all this boring stuff, right? Like, like reading council minutes kind of stuff. Like, all right, well, as soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, Titus, you know, do your best to come to me in the cop list because I'm going to spend the winter there and do everything you can to help Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way and See that they have everything they need. And you're like, what in the world? You're just talking about being passionate and on fire and following Jesus. And now you're reading us council minutes. What, what's going on? And the reality is sometimes passionately giving yourself for Jesus results in just mundane things. And, and when you start to understand what Paul's doing here, it's not as mundane and boring as you think. We, we don't really know anything about Artemis, so we don't know who he is. But, but we know that Tychicus the one who's going with them, he's Paul's letter carrier. He's, he's delivering all of these letters from Paul. 
He delivered Colossians. He delivered uh, Ephesians. I'm pretty sure he's delivering Titus. So he's Paul's letter care. He's bringing these letters of the gospel to all of these churches. And he said, when they get to Crete, Titus, now you're free to leave Crete and you're going to come down to me in Nicopolis. And, and we know that Apollos, right, if you read through Acts, Apollos was a gifted preacher and speaker of the gospel. He was effective. And, and Zenos is a lawyer, so he knows God's word like the back of his hand. And Paul's saying, all right, you're going to make sure that they're equipped and they're ready to go and they're going to go to this church. And then these guys are going to go to this church. And Titus, you're going to come down to me in Nicopolis because I'm going to spend the winter there. Not golfing, <laughs> but preaching the gospel. He said, I'm going to spend the winter in Nicopolis. I'm going to be here for a really long time. And so, Titus, I want you to come down here. and We're going to do ministry together side by side for a long time. And you start to see Paul is putting together a ministry strategy. He's making sure he's got the right people in the right places at the right times so that the gospel would go forward. And what he's doing is he's teaching this church that, that's easily distracted by all of these other things that aren't that important. And he's saying, no, here's what's important, that we have people going out with the gospel into the world. And so you're going to help these people go off and be equipped. You're going to have these people come in and equip you. You're going to send this person over here. And as we focus on the gospel, the church is focused where it should be, and then it bears fruit, and it's excellent, and it, the kingdom of God grows. And so it may seem like boring business stuff, and yet it's focused on the gospel. And, and it's important for us to remember that just in our day-to-day life of this church. Not, the gospel is at the core of all of the things we do. It has to be. Even when we're doing some boring things, like sitting in an elder meeting or a deacon meeting. I don't get bored by meetings. But you're sitting in an elder meeting, a deacon meeting, or a council meeting. We're not there just to check something off our list. We're there because we want to see the gospel spread. Throughout the church, throughout the community, we're, we're making decisions in order to do that. But it also goes down to sweeping and vacuuming the floors and, and keeping this building in a position that we can effectively bring the gospel to our church and bring the gospel to the community. And so something as mundane as maybe vacuuming and cleaning around the church is for the gospel. And you can do it passionately and excitedly because Christ uses that. It may seem pointless, but it's not. Something as important as being in the nursery or helping with king's kids or all of these things are all leading forward and helping the gospel. And we can do those mundane things with passion because Christ has called us to do it. And and he's called us to live out our lives, do these good works with passion, even if they seem boring and unimportant. Because we have to remember, Christ gave himself for us. And then he calls us to give ourselves for him and passionately follow him so that other people can hear the excellent and profitable truths of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks for the work that you've done in our life and in this church. Father, we thank you for the salvation that you've brought, the way that you've worked and redeemed and and transformed us, and the way that you're working in us, teaching us how to devote ourselves to you. 
Lord, we, we come to you, we confess that we often get sidetracked and distracted and, and focus on unimportant things. Um, and we just pray that you would not only forgive us for that and cleanse us from that, but also focus us back on the gospel, the excellent and profitable gospel that works in our own lives and works in this church and works in the world around us, Lord. Focus us on that. Empower us by your Spirit to do that work with passion in the world. We pray all of this in the name of your faithful Son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.